Good morning, elect exiles. Uh, this morning we're going to uh, be turning in First Peter to a hot topic, and Peter has a hot take. Uh, if you're new with us, we're walking through the book of First Peter for some time, uh, and, and we're here in a transition where we've been looking at what it means to be elect. God has given us new life. He has caused us to be born again by the very resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've been purchased by the blood of Christ. We are like living stones being built up on the living stone, Jesus Christ. And now we can see we're, we're turning to a, a, another focus. We're now looking at verse 11 in chapter 2. Sojourners, exiles, strangers. How, how do we live in this world now that we are elect, what does that exile half look like? What, what, what does it look like especially to relate to the government in this exile? It's a very important, difficult topic. It's necessary and, and complicated. The, the church has just been called a holy nation in chapter 2, but that, that isn't a political state with boundaries. That really would look more like uh, embassies or, or what, what the, the, the Greeks did when they, they set up polices throughout the, the nations they would conquer, a, a center of influence, a, a place to spread their ideas and, and change the way folks thought, lived, and worshipped. Important we see throughout the New Testament that the church isn't seeking a revolution in the state. The, the, the church is seeking to be faithful. To God. The, the, the church recognizes that they are not the state. There's, there's uh, two different institutions. They have two different purposes. But that doesn't mean there's some fake wall between them. There's a necessary relationship that we must think about well. As we turn to First Peter, again, we're reminded we, we've been born again. We've been given new life. We've been given a very high calling to be holy as our God is holy. To conduct ourselves in this world while we're exiles with honor. Specifically, we're looking at how we relate to the human institution, specifically our governing authorities. If you're looking for just the one simple statement for the text, elect exiles worship God by honoring Governing authorities. Elect exiles worship God by honoring governing authorities. It's absolutely necessary we put this under worship. Right now we're in corporate worship. We, we get to come together and we sing together. We sing to one another. We, we hear God's word together. We, we worship with what we do here. But we also are going to worship when we leave this building and how we relate to our neighbors, to our governing authorities. Three points. Submit to God's servants. Submit to God's will. Submit to God's order. Submit to God's servants. Submit to God's will. Submit to God's order. Our first point this morning. Submit to God's servants. Verse 13, be, be subject. The, the, the same word there as we would see elsewhere for submit. Be, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, 
whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Peter, Peter says specifically be subject to human institutions, and we see there a very specific institution he has in mind, and that is the emperor, the Roman emperor, or, or governors that he would place in smaller districts to, to make sure his rule is extended to every location. Now, I, I've called them God's servants because we see there in our text that we're being subject to those human institutions for the Lord's sake. Because of God. They are appointed by God. No one is in a position of authority or rule unless God has actually appointed them to that position. They have a job from God. Look at verse 14. To punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. God has appointed governing authorities for a purpose. Second, I call them servants because that's what Paul calls them in a parallel text in Romans 13. Submit to those servants, which are the governing authorities. And thirdly, Paul, Peter, uh, Jesus even makes, got the final name uh, finally, Jesus makes it clear when talking to Pilate. You would have no such authority unless God gave it to you. The governing authorities are supposed to be the Lord's servants, executing his will, punishing evil, praising what's good. Now, we, we are a heavenly kingdom. God's holy nation, but, but again, not, not a political state. And that, that, that's somewhat difficult for us to wrap our heads around, but we do have to think, as we, we consider ourselves as a people of God, his holy temple, a, a, a nation, there are boundaries, but they're not boundaries like we have at a, a border of a nation. You know, like, like embassies, we are considering how to spread that good news throughout all nations, how to, how to make that message clear to where we are, to the neighbors around us. We do have to understand there's some boundaries. We have to know who belongs to the church, who, who's a brother and who's a neighbor. We have to understand how someone comes from being merely a neighbor to becoming a, a brother. How we understand how we maintain order and purpose within the church. That's why we have members meetings. We must be clear how we relate to one another within so that we have a better way of knowing how to relate to those governing authorities, authorities outside. There, there are, there's a, a danger in focusing on that elect exile, citizens of that heavenly kingdom. One, one we, could, we could seek to make our human institutions just like the heavenly kingdom is supposed to be. We should think we should make every institution, every kingdom, every, every power on this earth, we, should, we, we would only want to make sure that they are just like the heavenly kingdom, not realizing there's a stark difference as, as read earlier in Psalm 2. Or we could abandon the call to be a good steward in this earth, a good citizen of the human institution. You, you are in a relationship with your earthly government, the human authority God has appointed. The key question this morning, is it a healthy one? You are in a relationship. Is it healthy? Is it ordered and determined by what God has given in his clear instruction? Is it marked by submissiveness, being subject? We can look at the commands to be submissive and to be subject throughout Scripture. 
And they're always, almost always, tied to our relationship with God first. The, the, the call to be submissive to a, an earthly order is, is regularly tied with our call to have reverence to the God who has created us and saved us. You can look at Ephesians 5.21, where every believer is called to submit to one another out of reverence for the Lord. You can look at the next verse, where wives are called to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. You can look at Ephesians 6.5, slave obey masters as you would the Lord. Notice there that very significant assumption. You have a reverence for the Lord, which is the motivation for why you would be submissive. Or your submissiveness is a, a, a key uh, determining, uh, a key, key revelation, or, or, or it reveals your true reverence. Here, 1 Peter 2.18, be subject to earthly masters. Be, 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 be subject to earthly masters later on in being mindful of God. To this you've been called, Christ is your example for how you would be subject to earthly masters and suffer. 1 Peter 3.1, wives be subject as before the Lord, quorum Deo. 1 Peter 5.5, 5, be subject to one another, for God opposes the proud. The key here is we're living as God's servants, seeking to be submissive to the servants he's placed over us and our governing authorities. Let me try to be very clear. We cannot pretend that we have a soft, tender heart towards God while using a harsh, critical tongue towards rulers. You cannot worship God. You should not have harsh, critical uh, words about your ruling authority and, and seek to also praise God with the same tongue. You can worship God by praying for your president and governing authorities. You can hope for justice and wisdom and righteousness. But the, the key command, the... the, the the, the command that should, should seek to influence the way we relate to them most significantly is be subject for the Lord's sake. That's over against how much we agree with them. If you only submit when you agree, you're not really submitting. By definition, submission happens when there's disagreement. You also don't submit only when you voted for them. See, what should separate Christians in politics is that we're able to disagree with respect. We're able to disagree while still honoring. We're able to show what it looks like to disagree and still have a reverence towards God and an honor towards the person's position. And if you cannot disagree respectfully, you're, you're missing something of the Christian ethos. Notice the command. Be subject. That is a, a posture for the Lord's sake to every human institution. We need to look at that word every because it's a very important word here. could be all. What it doesn't mean is some. So we like to put a qualifier on this. To every human institution that we agree with or every human institution that we voted for. No, it's, it's all. But by, by definition here, the submission is to the governing authorities that God has put over us. Now, Peter is saying, be subject to the emperor, the, the, the one who is your, your ruler without you having any say over it in this Roman government. We have to cross a bridge here because 
We, we are blessed to belong to a government of the people, by the people, for the people. We, we the people, elect our governing officials, which I don't think actually helps us with this command because we, we can too easily dismiss, well, I didn't vote for that person. But here it's that you were born in Rome and therefore the Roman emperor is your governor, your, your emperor. That's an absolute power, an absolute rule. That was oftentimes tyrannical. Now, the emperor he's re- probably referring to is Nero. And that, that's significant. We, we don't know if when, when the before and after happens here, but Nero is the emperor who blamed Christians for the fire that destroyed much of Rome. Nero then set Christians on fire. This isn't submit to this emperor who's good and, and righteous. Nero had his own mother murdered on his rise to power. It's a bad dude with lots of power. But the call to submit had nothing to do with his character. It had everything to do with his position. We see here a call to submit because of the person's position as God appointed him. Now, if we're to cross that bridge and think about how this relates to us, well, we don't have an emperor. We have a, we have a president. We have a Congress. We have a Supreme Court. We have justices. We should be thankful for our government. We should pray for those who have authority to steward it according to God's wisdom, to exercise righteousness and justice. We should pray that God would bless them with, with common grace to rule well. And to rule with a fear of God. Our being subject to the government cannot depend upon how much we trust those governing authorities. It has everything to do with how much we trust and love God. Now, here we are. We, we have a, a government that gives us certain rights. And we, we should know how to appeal to those rights. We actually have an example of Paul appealing to his rights as a Roman citizen in Acts 22. He was in chains, about to be flogged, and he appealed to his right as a Roman citizen. There's something helpful there where we see how he as a Christian is appealing to rights he has as a Roman citizen for his good. But I want to put that next to what happens after that. And right after that, Ananias, the high priest, has Paul struck in the face. In Acts 23.3, Paul responds, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. That's pretty boss. You you can imagine, don't tread on me flags in the background. But notice what God puts in the background. Those who were standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replies, brothers, I did not realize he was the high priest. For it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. He was just struck in the face unlawfully. Spoke truth. But it was out of season because he was speaking to someone appointed by God to rule him. 
If we as elect exiles would take this example of Paul, which is really just reflecting the example of Jesus himself, be subject to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him. And this would be those lesser authorities, governors, mayors, police officers, IRS, pay your taxes. We must remember in the midst of this that Jesus' instruction, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. That, 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 that is very helpful and freeing for us. Jesus is making it very clear that the earthly authorities, they only have so much authority. The, the earthly human institutions, they, they, they are given authority to rule and to reign, but it, it has limits like every human institution does. You cannot worship Caesar, but you must pay him taxes. Whenever the government is to command something that God has prohibited or prohibits what God commands, well, that's where we, with fear and trembling, consider how we might not submit ourselves to his rule. How dangerous it is to, 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 to feel that the government is needed for us to be obedient but also how, how dangerous it is to, to realize how the government rules has a great impact on, on the, the, the Christian church's freedom to be faithful. Verse 14, we see this purpose for the government. To punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. This is what we hope for in our governing authorities, right? This is good. This is helpful. This is what we want our governors, our, our police officers, our, our mayors, our, our councils. We want them to know what is good and to reward it and to, to know what is evil and to, to punish it. What we should be praying for. And, and this is where we can get confused about whatever that wall is between a church and state. Because a question we should ask, well, how will they know what's good? If they do not know the good God, how will they know what is good? Christian, if you want to know what your role is, you, you should be seeking to make known what is good with your words, with your life, with your conduct. If you want to know why I believe that, it's because he says a little bit later, do good. Do what's good. Do, by, by, by doing good, you're, 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 you should be influencing, helping the, the world see what is truly good. We pray that by common grace they would know what is good to reward it and would know what is evil and punish it. But we also know governments have not always had that common grace. What I, what I, what I find confusing is the insistence that the, the nation or the government, they need to embrace what the church says what is good without the insistence that the church should be embracing what God has said what is good. Christians seem to get real worked up that the nation needs to adopt what's good while not insisting even more strongly that it's the church that should fear God and conduct themselves according to what God says. Now, let me say, with fear and trembling, the church has had to refuse submitting to government rule throughout the history. Caesar doesn't have an absolute reign, and I say with fear and trembling because if you're ever to to, 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 to break a, a, a clear command, to, to not be subject, there, there needs to be some rationale. There needs to be a, a fear and trembling about it. Here's some reasons that Christians in the past have refused to submit to governing rule. And it's first what 
the government prohibited. The government prohibited sharing the gospel. If the government prohibits preaching God's word, speaking God's word to one another or to other neighbors who would need to become Christians, then, then, then that's a time you, with fear and trembling, consider not submitting. If the government seeks to confiscate scripture, this was a significant issue in the early church. They wanted to take God's word from the church, and the, the church refused to submit. If the church government prohibits marriage, family, goodness, if the church government prohibits worshiping as an assembly, well, that, that's where their pro- prohibition is, is in clear contrast to an absolute command of God. What are some of the things the government might command that you must refuse? Bowing, to, bowing down to anything that's not a god. Forced participation in ungodly, defiling practices. Giving up your children to be taught and trained in pagan religion. Mandatory entertainment on the Lord's Day so that you cannot worship. Now, now here's the thing. Thankfully, right now, I don't believe the government is prohibiting what God has commanded, nor commanding what God has prohibited. We might be fearful of these things, but let's be very clear. We have the freedom to worship as God has commanded right now. Are we doing so? Are, are, are we more worked up that God might, we might lose the freedom to worship so that we're, we're not actually being faithful? It, it seems a lot of Christians are fearful of the government possibly forcing disobedience to God while voluntarily choosing to be disobedient. Let me be really, get a nitty-gritty. I don't think the government would have to prohibit worship on Sunday morning. I think they would just need to offer some kind of sports event or entertainment. And most of the church would just stop worshiping. We, 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 We voluntarily do what we're afraid the government would make us do. In an unfaithful way. My charge for you this morning. Before the Lord, for the sake of the Lord, be committed to your holy God who has purchased you with his holy blood and your holy conduct. Be committed to being a a, a temple built up as the living stones on the living stone. Be committed to the good works that are honorable in conduct to your neighbors. Let's look at those First words, be subject. Why? Because of the Lord. You take that out and all this is nonsense. Because you're just looking out for you because nobody else is. But here it's be subject because of the Lord. Because you know the Lord. Because you know he is mighty. Because you know he will crush his enemies. Because you know that anybody who's in authority is under him. For the sake of the Lord. Because of the Lord. God is not distant. He's not powerless. We are called to submit to him. And therefore, we are submitting to the governing authorities. Now, if you're not a Christian this morning, this is going to be confusing. And it's an internal conversation that Christians are debating and still discussing. And I'm sure there will be lots of good discussions afterwards. Your call this morning is not to submit to your governing authorities. The call this morning is you need to submit to the Lord. You need to submit to the Lord who, who you've, well, you've sinned against by not submitting to him. 
So we all have refused God the proper worship he deserves. Every human being has refused to worship God as he deserves, and that's what we call sin. We, we, we sin in what we haven't done, and we sin in what we do. And the only forgiveness you can find is in Jesus Christ, who, who died on the cross, and, and that, that plaque they put over his head, the king of the Jews. He is truly the king of kings, who died for a people to take away their sin so they could live for him, so they could live in forgiveness, so they could live in freedom from sin. The, the invitation this morning is to submit yourself to God. Who says there, there's something seriously wrong with all of us, and it's sin. And there's only one solution. It's believing in Jesus Christ, his own son, who died to heal you. The first point is submit to God's servants. Those are those human institutions. Second, submit to God's will. This is verse 15. For, notice there is a reason again. For this is the will of God. There's full stop. If you mark up your Bibles, you should have a special color code for this phrase. The will of God. How good it is that God tells us what his will is. It's not some mysterious labyrinth we've got to figure out. God's will is good, and he tells us what it is so that we know him. We know what his will is for us. Here it is. This is God's will. If you don't mark up your Bibles, this might be the one you want to do. It's all God's word. It tells us all of who he is. It tells us all of what he calls us to do. But the, what, how helpful it is that he, he breaks out so many times and says, this is the will of God. God's will is always good. The emperor's is not. But it's God's will that you would submit to the emperor. Let me say it another way. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life to submit to your earthly emperor. What a strategy he provides as to what that will looks like. Do good. It is the will of God to submit to every human institution, the emperor, the governor. This is the will of God. By doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of the foolish people. So what a strategy. Do good. If you don't like what the world is doing out there, the, the, the key focus of, of how to properly serve God is by committing to doing what he says is good. And how do we know what's good? Well, he tells us what his will is in scripture. Do what God commands. Be committed to the, the goodness of his gospel. Christian, what a unique ethic we have as God commands us to love him, who's truly lovely, love our neighbor as ourselves, and those neighbors even include enemies. We see here a, a, a clear demand, do good. Je Jesus explains this a little bit more. He says, whenever somebody asks for your cloak, you should give them your, your tunic as well. Or if somebody asks you to go a, a mile, you should go with them two, two miles. He's actually referring there to most likely Roman soldiers who would demand something of you. Again, human institution, governing rulers. If they ask for something, if they demand of something, you, you give them more. What, a, what, a, what, a, what an amazing ethic. 
that then follows by love your enemy. Doing good means we're trusting God who is all good and is taking care of us. If you want to know what the great protest today is, it's do what is good. We, we might all want some kind of cultural or political revolution. If that's what you want, do what is good. In a world that's antagonistic to purity, goodness, modesty, morality, do what is good. Don't defile the marriage bed. Hold purity tight and strong and protect it. Promote what is good with families and babies and raising children. Do what is good. And by doing so, you'll put to shame the, the, those who are, are, are mocking in their foolishness. That's the outcome in verse 15. By doing good, you'll, you'll put those to shame who, who are ignorant in their foolish mockery. Can you imagine if all those who claim Christ as Savior denied themselves, carried their cross, and followed him, what kind of revolution that might actually cause in our culture and our government? Or even better, what kind of revival that actually might cause in the church? That, that, isn't that better? Which one would we rather see, a, a revolution in our government or a revival in the church? Which one would you rather see? I hope it was revival in the church. If we were to truly commit to knowing God and his will and doing good according to his will, we would see revival. And the outcome of that would be a changed nation, Lord willing. That's what we should long for. If we want a nation more aligned with God, we want the church first to be more aligned with Christ. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of the foolish. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. God's will is for you to do good. God's will is for you to use your freedom to serve him. Christian, you, you have freedom in Christ. What a great declaration. He's purchased your freedom. Freedom from the penalty of sin. You're free from guilt you're free from wrath you're free from condemnation there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus you're also free from the power of sin you're no longer a slave to the passions of the flesh you have been set free from the the penalty and the power of sin you were once slaves to sin and you were destined for death but god in his great mercy called you and now you're free but you're not free to sin you're free to serve a good master. You're free to say no to that evil master's sin. And you're free to serve the good master, God, the king of kings. Good theology requires tension, right? You are simultaneously the most free and the most bound if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're the most free because you've been set free from the greatest tyrant, sin. And you're most bound because you now have been purchased by the blood of the King, Christ. We, we, we must hold that tension. The will of God is for you to be free and in your freedom to serve God. And in serving God, you are submitting to governing authorities. 
One of the great freedoms that we have is freedom of speech. We, we must be praising God right now that we have freedom of speech to, to assemble, to, to, to read God's word, to sing God's word, to, 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 to proclaim God's word, receive it and, and fellowship around it. There's a, a freedom respected by, a, a freedom protected in our Constitution. You have the freedom as a United States citizen to say whatever you want about your governing authorities. It's pretty amazing. It's protected. All right, certain platforms might not let you say it there, but you're protected in the government to say whatever you want about your governing authorities. But as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, as a citizen of, of, of Christ's kingdom who's been bought by his blood, you don't have the freedom to say whatever you want about your governing authorities. Your, your freedom is limited by Christ because you can't use your freedom to cover up evil. You, you can do it as a United States citizen, but you, there, there are certain things we just cannot say and should not say as Christians. That, that example of Paul, where he, he realized he had said something out of season, out of step with God's word about the ruler, the chief priest, who was an evil dude. David Morris gave a great devotion on Wednesday night a few weeks ago on gossip. And, and gossip is when you're saying something true, but it's out of season. What a, what a helpful, simple definition. There's a lot of things we could say about our governing rulers that are probably true. But should we say them? Can we say them with respect? Can we say them while still honoring those governing authorities? So we, we, we have to serve God knowing that those governing authorities are placed uh, over us by him. And so that changes how we're going to disagree with him. Our disagreement has to be marked with we're doing so still in worship to God. Last point. Submit to order. Submit to God's order. Four simple commands. Verse 17. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. That, that's worthy of you committing to your memory. I, I, I love passages that make something so complicated, so simple without oversimplification. There's more commands in scripture than this, but th this is an incredible list that puts different complicated relationships next to each other so we understand how they all relate to one another. This is incredibly helpful. Four simple commands with four different directions. I, I believe it's shorthand in many ways for a lot of the more significant commands in scripture. I, I believe the best way to look at this list of four is to see it as two pairs, and that's not the fruit, it's two combos, two sets of two. One's horizontal, one's vertical. The horizontal commands, honor everyone, love the brotherhood. That, that's how you're going to relate here. That's going to relate next to, each, next to each other. Where you're living in your home, where you're working uh, in your, your place of employment, or, or where you're worshiping in church. Honor everyone, Love the brotherhood. It's important we understand the, the object of those commands to understand why they're different. Every brother is a person and everyone, but not every person is a brother. You see, honor everyone, that, that, 
that's referring to every human being. The, the everyone is every human being, every, every, everyone made in God's image. Your neighbor, your co-worker, even your enemy. All are made in God's image. As, as believers, we must hold that as a, a, a first essential truth. When we're talking about another human being, no matter what they've done, no matter what they've done to us, they're God's image bearers. They have a significant dignity and worth because of what God has done. Now, it, it is terrifying whenever humans start talking about other humans as like a subspecies or a, a different kind of being. That's where atrocities take place. We have to understand the Darwinian worldview does this by definition. The, 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 the conflicts we see or, or when we see people treating others as, as inferior in their being and worth. We have to be, be very careful of any worldview that, that seeks to erase the uniqueness of humans by either elevating other creatures or, or, or creating a, a hierarchy of being and worth and value. It's really amazing to think about that honor everyone there's a, an atheist historian who's done significant work, and his findings as an atheist show how Christianity has blessed the world by, by promoting marriage, women's rights, protection of babies, protection of the innocent, righteousness. That, 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 that's that honor everyone command that Christians are supposed to hold out for every human being. The next is love the brotherhood. I believe you go from everyone to kind of think about your, your family table. There, there's a way in which you're relating to your family. This is family language differently than, than everyone. I, I believe here we could hear Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a, an equal kind of love. Love one another, the family of God, as Christ has loved you. There's, a, there's, a, there's another step. Honor everyone. Well, then love the brotherhood, those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ. The, the family imagery is that we are all now brought to the very table of God. We, we take the Lord's Supper together. We, we go to the table of Christ together. We've been adopted by the Father together. We share in the same love of God together. Those two mutual, horizontal commands are important to set next to each other, understand the, the love is a higher calling than honor. A, a well-ordered life prioritizes God's order. Well, that second pair, and what I'm going to call the, the vertical, fear God and honor the emperor. Now, the trick here is the word honor is the same exact word, but I believe it has to be a little bit different because, well, it's not, you're, you're, you're called to honor the emperor in a different way than everyone. But that, that fear God, it's a, it's a reverence of worship and a, a fear of terror. The, the, the emperor isn't to be feared. In a sense, worship. The emperor is meant to be honored, to show deference, to esteem highly. He, he is to receive honor, but God alone is to be worshipped and feared. Let's look at it this way. Our, our fear of God is why we honor the emperor. Our fear of God is why we honor 
everyone. Our fear of God is why we love the brotherhood. It's a God-oriented, centered life. Every relationship must first be ordered around who we truly fear, have a reverence for, and it, it must be God. There's two unhealthy kinds of fear that we could have of our governing authorities. We're terrified of them and how they might impose laws on us, or we have a reverence for them as if they're our saviors. Christian, you're free of both of those. Fear God, the good ruler, who has not withheld any good thing. He's given us even his son. A healthy fear of God keeps you from an unnecessary terror of the government. A fear of God where we worship him alone and we see him as holy, holy, holy. All power belongs to him. All authority is his. And he uses it for the good of all of his people. So we do not fear the earthly emperor while we submit to him. We fear God and we revere him. We, we have a, a healthy understanding of his holiness as, as sinners. And we, we are thankful for governing authorities on this earth that would punish evil and, and curb sin according to God's will. We fear God knowing that anyone who has any power in a position is appointed by him. Now, the logical question is this. Well, how could God allow such sin from such a powerful person? I think if we had a, a different lens, we'd probably ask a different question. It'd probably be more, wow, it's amazing how much sin God has hindered from taking place. We, we, we see atrocities. It's a real question to ask, but I, I, I believe the significant focus here is by God's common grace, he's actually kept more evil in his restraining power from happening than, than would have happened because he's good. We've seen here fear relate to God once before. So that's in chapter 1, verses 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. He goes on, this is right after he said, be holy, for God is holy. And this is right before he tells us we were purchased by the very blood of Christ. For that, that, that fear of God not only affects our relationships, but our fear of God puts before us, he is going to hold us accountable. Not, not judgment and condemnation, but judgment and holding us accountable for everything we've done and everything we've said. We see the weight even more now. This is the will of God. Do good. Be subject to your governing authorities. This is the will of God. Serve the Lord using your freedom for an opportunity to do good. May God give us the grace to see his goodness. May God give us the grace to submit to those we're going to disagree with significantly because of the position God's put them in, may God give us the grace to be faithful and proclaim him. Will you pray with me?
Father, we thank you for your word that shows us your good design, that we were designed to be ruled by you under your goodness, under your authority, to exercise all the power we have as your image bearers to reflect you and your goodness. And Lord, we, we thank you that you show us how in our sin we've refused to submit to you. And so these governing authorities are designed to protect us from the sin we have and protect us from the sin all around us. Lord, we, we pray for our governing authorities. Pray for our police officers, our city councilmen, our mayor, our governor, our governor, our congressman, our president, our Supreme Court. Lord, may they be blessed by you with the grace to, to fear you, to govern with a, a fear of you, to govern for the good of the people. Lord, may, may we be faithful in praying for your will and your righteousness among these governing authorities. May, may we seek your grace to be faithful even in the midst of suffering and persecution if they reject you. Lord, may we never lose sight of how good you are that you rule us with your good word. You rule us with your good power that saves us from our sin. And you promise justice is sure. It might not be tomorrow, but it is sure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.